You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Daniel Yelverton. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Good morning. Hi, how are you guys doing today? All right, great to see you all. My name is Daniel. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm honored that you would join us this morning. If you are a first-time guest, we wanted to say thank you so much for coming. You could probably do a lot of different things with your Sunday morning, and you're here with us. And so we just appreciate that so much. Uh, we are <clears throat> in our second week of the Kingdom Voter Series. Now, this was kind of an ambitious series for us, but we really wanted to talk about some of the things that we don't talk about in church. And this isn't going to be a series that that we're going to tell people how to vote. This is really more of us aligning ourselves to the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, can be seen here on earth through us. And we get the privilege, we get the great opportunity, because of the freedom that we have in this country, to be a voice to be a voice in our civil government, to be a voice in what is going on in our society, and what a great opportunity it is to bring Jesus and have him speak through us. So last week, Pastor Phil introduced the series, and he really kind of laid out the problem. The problem was that our country was founded under God. Our Pledge of Allegiance The most crucial part of it is that we are one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. However, in our world today, we have departed from being under God. We're doing our own thing. We're doing what seems right in our own eyes. And our culture is suffering because of us leaving the presence of God. And as we will do in every uh, part of this series, we're going to start out by renewing that pledge, by renewing the Pledge of Allegiance, not only to our country, but a country that's founded under God, under his authority and his power. So if you'll stand with me, let's do the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So we have a couple goals that we would like to accomplish in this series. First, we want to awaken to our rich privilege and our Christian responsibility to have a voice by voting. What a great opportunity it is in the nation that we live in to have a voice in how our government is run. The second thing we want to do is we want to realign ourselves to the kingdom of God. And whenever we refer to the kingdom of God, what we mean is his rule and reign here on earth. So when we refer to the kingdom of God, what we really want to see is God's rule and reign coming here on earth. And we want to see that in how we vote, how we make decisions, and how we just work through all of life's circumstances. And the last thing that we want to do today, and our goal throughout this series, is that we would turn our hearts 
back to God in prayer for our nation. And so we're going to have a couple opportunities to, to just literally do that, to get on our knees in repentance and ask God to come and heal our land. And I'm just going to start us out with prayer right now. King Jesus, thank you so much for your great love. Jesus, thank you so much that you didn't just die for us and, and give us new life, but you, now you live through us. We are plan A for our world, for our community, for our nation, to show them the light of God, to show them what you're all about, Lord, but also to show them the love of Jesus in a tangible way. God, may we never, never take this responsibility lightly, but may we see it as such a great honor to participate in your kingdom coming here on earth. We ask your will be done this morning. In your name, amen. So when we vote for people in our government, not only are we voting for the actual person and the personalities, which can be challenging at some times, but we're also voting for their policies. And what I mean by that is that we're voting for the things that they value, the things that they want to accomplish, the things that they hope to see. And so uh, ideally, we would like to find somebody that aligns with what we agree with, what we hope to accomplish in our community and in our nation. And so as a kingdom voter, as a kingdom-minded voter, we have to ask ourselves the following question. What are the policies of the kingdom of God? What are the goals of the kingdom of God? What does the kingdom of God value? What does the kingdom of God want to see accomplished here and now in our world? And we have to make sure and almost surrender ourselves to align to his values, to his purpose that were established by his nature and character. And so when we say his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking that his rule and reign would come here now. But we are also ambassadors. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. It's amazing to me that God is making his appeal to humanity through us, right? So God could have used anybody or Jesus could have used anybody as his first disciples, the apostles were the 12 that were sent out, right? He could have picked the most influential people. He could have picked all of the kings of the region. He could have picked the wealthy, but he just picked average people to be used to shake the world, to change the world, and to topple the Roman Empire in 300 years. And that gives me hope. Because I'm, I'm an average person. There's nothing super special about me. But we all get the opportunity because of Jesus working through us to bring lasting life change and transformation to our world. And not only are we ambassadors, First uh, Peter will tell us that we're foreigners. We're foreigners in a strange land, meaning our home is not here. But while we're here, we get the chance to represent who God is and what he's all about. So, so what are the policies of the kingdom of God? 
I've got three things to talk about this morning. It's not an exhaustive list. I would like to go get lunch sometime today. And so I'm just planning on talking about three, and I hope that that's a blessing to you and uh, me. So the first thing that we see that is a policy of the kingdom of God, that is something that the kingdom of God values, is that all life is sacred. All life is valuable. Think about it. Think about when God created everything. What did he do? He he spoke everything into existence. The galaxies, the planet, uh, everything, all of the animals. He spoke it into existence. But you know what he did with humanity? He formed us from the earth. He was meticulous when he put us together. He made us in his image and he breathed life into us. I imagine the first thing Adam saw when he opened his eyes was the face of his creator. Made in him. He was made in his image. And not only that, God gave Adam and Eve a wonderful responsibility to be his representatives throughout the world, to rule, to subdue the earth, and to be fruitful and to multiply. But the greatest demonstration of God's value and intentionality and great love for us is seen in Jesus, in his life, and especially in his death. You see, what we value is what we're willing to sacrifice for. That's a good way, it's a good indicator to show that something is valuable to us. Whether we'll sacrifice time, energy, effort, our own freedoms, um, money, whatever it may be, they're all opportunities to express value, right? And God demonstrated his great love for us by sending Jesus stripped of his divinity coming down, living like us, living the perfect life, and then dying for each one of us. You are so valuable to God. You are so valuable to God. John 3.16, we use this all the time, right? But God so loved the world, everyone, everyone made in his image, He loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge it, but to save the world through him. Romans 5, 6 through 8. I love what the apostle Paul writes here. He says that when we were utterly helpless, meaning we didn't have any leverage, We had nothing to give. Christ came just at the right time and died for us sinners. Now, I love this because he's putting God in verse 6, and then he'll contrast God with us in verse 8. But in verse 7, Paul kind of departs, and he starts talking about our own measures of value. He says, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. And what Paul's saying here is a a righteous person, maybe a self-righteous person, or someone who's very confident in their standing with God based on what they do or the law. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good, and by good, he's referring to godliness. But in contrast, 
God showed his great love, demonstrated his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We were enemies and he died for us. So if all life is sacred and Jesus demonstrated that by what he did on the cross, then what's a response? A proper response to that is that we should practice sacrificial love for one another. John 15, 12 through 13 says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus would tell us in John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you. You are to love one another as I have loved you. And when you love one another, the world will know you are my disciples. So, so sacrificial love, as far as it comes to the kingdom of God, means laying down our life for others, leveraging power, influence, what other resources for the benefit of other people. Jesus would say this in Matthew 16, 24 through 25, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must give up his own way. Take up his cross and follow me. If you want to hang on to your life, hoard these things that God has given, you're going to lose it. But the counterintuitive paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God says, if, if you give this up for my sake, you will save it. You will gain it. So if all life is sacred, then we need to practice sacrificial love. And if all life is sacred, we need to care for the marginalized, the weak, and those who cannot defend themselves. There's a parable that Jesus is talking about, telling us in Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. And basically, it's judgment day, and there's a separation between how two different types of people live their lives. The sheep were the ones that sacrificed for other people, that visited people in prison, that cared for the sick, that practiced hospitality. The goats were the ones that didn't. And so when Jesus is, is telling the sheep to come in, he's saying that you did all of this. You, you cared for me when I was in prison. You cared for me when I was sick. You visited me in my poverty. And, and this is where we're gonna pick up in Matthew 25, 37. And the righteous ones, this is the sheep, will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did it for me. The way we treat others, especially the weak and the marginalized, directly relates to how we view Jesus as our Savior and how he views us. James 1.27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for widows and orphans, and in that day that is the poorest of the poor, the lowest in society, and their distress in refusing to let the world corrupt you. So if all life is sacred and we live and, we, and our response should be to live sacrificially, 
and to take up the plight of those that are weak and marginalized, why, how do we miss it? And I think I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna go back to Romans 5, 6 through 8, and I'm gonna hone in on verse 7 because it's kind of confusing when Paul just talks about these two different types of people and their willingness to die for them. But what's ha- what he's showing here is there's an inconsistency in humanity when it comes to value. You know, as a parent and as a parent, if my son or daughter was right in front of a speeding car, I would gladly push them out of the way and lay my life down for my kids. Absolutely. They're so valuable and precious to me. But would I have the same passion and fervor for my enemy, for the one who's hurt me, for the one who's betrayed me? You see, we can't place value on someone's life that Jesus died for. We don't have the right to almost scoff at the blood of Jesus and say that that person carries less value than anyone else. And so we can be so inconsistent when it comes to that. There's this really cool story in Acts 16 Paul is traveling around on a missionary journey and he's going to Philippi and he meets three different people. First is Lydia. Lydia is a wealthy merchant and he tells her about Jesus and she becomes a follower of Jesus. And that's like a great person to convert to Jesus, right? You're going to a new town, get somebody wealthy, get somebody influential. Let's plan a church. Let's get rolling, right? But then while they're traveling along, there's a slave girl, and we don't know her name. We just know her as slave girl. And her masters have been abusing her. They, she is demon-possessed. And so they have been using her uh, ability to tell fortunes, and she is under their control. Paul sets her free, and she becomes a part of their community. However, that angers the people that uh, were abusing her for their own wealth and gain. And so they throw Paul and Silas in prison. So enter the third person. The third person is the jailer. The jailer is probably a retired war veteran who is just there to watch prisoners and most likely beating and abusing the prisoners that are there in jail. And, and Paul and Silas are there wrongfully. They've been wrongfully accused and they've just set this poor girl free from all that she's gone through and now they're in jail. Midnight rolls around and they're singing songs and praising God and an earthquake comes and all the jail doors go open. Now, as a jailer, your life is not your own. You are responsible for everyone that's in your jail in this time. And if anybody escaped, that was his life that he had to pay for it. And so he sees all the doors open, immediately draws his sword to go and kill himself. And you know what he hears? Paul yelling to him, don't do it. We are still here And the jailer who had been beating them, who had mistreating them, runs into Paul's cell and says, what must I do to be saved? You see, each of those people matter to God. 
the imprisoned, the ones that are struggling with addiction, the ones that are, are being abused or taking advantage of, the ones that are hurting other people just as much as the influential merchant. They all matter to God. And so I want us to lead us in a time of repentance. You may or may not be comfortable with this, but I believe that as we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek the face of the Lord, that he will hear us and he will heal our land. And I want that more than anything. And if you want to join me on, my, on your knees, you can. You don't have to. But I would like for us to take some time to repent of the marginalization that we've had of people in our society. We have over 60 million unborn children that have been murdered in abortion. We have over half a million people that have been murdered in our society since 1990. We have people that are bullied, abused, verbally abused, emotionally abused, physically abused. I want us to repent. And I want God to come and heal our land. So would you join me in this? Dear Jesus, we're so sorry. We're so sorry that in caught up in our own world and in our own lives that we have just pushed people to the side. People that are made in your image, people, Jesus, that you died for. Jesus, every life is precious to you. God, may we take up the cause of the ones that are hurting, of marginalized, weak, May we defend the cause of the unborn child. God, may we see that all life is made in your image, whether they're an unborn child or the worst person in our country, the worst person in the world. There's always space for repentance. Change us as a nation from the inside out. Let us live differently, knowing that you have made all life valuable. We ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. The second policy of the kingdom of God that I want to talk about is justice. And I believe that these are really important for us right now to discuss what is going on, not only with our nation, with the, the sanctity and the sacredness of life, but also justice. See, God is a God of justice. He revealed that when he revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai. In Exodus 34, 6 through 7, God is calling out his character to Moses. So it says that the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I just want to pause real quick because that's the God that's truly who God is. And if you have learned otherwise or have been taught otherwise or think that God is not this to you, angry, upset, disappointed, that couldn't be further from the truth. Verse seven, I lavish unfailing love on a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. 
I lay the sins of their parents on their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. God is a God of justice. He does not excuse the guilty, but, but he also forgives and he lavishes unfailing love. And to me, I just feel like I can't wrap my mind around that. It's gotta be one or the other, right? They feel diametrically opposed. How can he be gracious and full of mercy, but also full of justice? And so when it comes to justice, especially now in our world, we have to know that within God's character, he is a God of justice. And the first thing we need to realize and place in his hands is trust. We have to trust God with the timing and the method of justice. He's God. We're not. And often we allow our own interests to cloud our judgment or even our view of justice, right? We want judgment for others, justice, but we want mercy for ourselves. I'll give you an example. You're driving down 275. Mm, some dude goes poof, right by you, just flying. What's your response? Ooh, man, I hope that guy gets a ticket. Oh, he's speeding. Oh, that guy's going to get busted. Lord, you've got to get him. I'm going to call the police and I'm going to tell him the license plate number, tell him the direction he's going. That guy's going to get a ticket. But when we're running late, unforeseen circumstances, things out of our control maybe, and we're going down the road. What are we doing? Oh, Lord, please give me mercy. Oh, don't let any cops see me. Oh, if they pull me over, I just play. they give me an escort. Let me just get to where I need to go. There's an inconsistency there, you see. We want justice for other people, but we want mercy for ourselves. 1 Peter 2, 21 and 23. I love this because this is the mindset of Christ. He says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. He didn't sin. They were slandering him, but he didn't retaliate, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Guys, you know, one of the greatest moments in our faith is the greatest act of injustice in our world. Jesus knew no sin, but became sin so that we could have the righteousness of God. That is not fair. It's not fair. How is that just? But because Jesus knew that you were valuable, that I was valuable, that we were precious. He was willing to forego what was rightfully his, his justice and his vindication for us. The second thing that we know, if God is a God of justice, then we are not instruments of revenge, but blessing. Romans 12, 19 through 21 says, dear friends, never take revenge. That's a kind of blanket statement, right? Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, this is the Lord, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. 
In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Do not let evil conquer you. That just seems so counterintuitive, right? Because if you don't take revenge or justice, evil's gonna always win. But it says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good? We're ambassadors of reconciliation. We, we forgive others because we've been forgiven. We have been given this wonderful message to say, come back to God. And we get the opportunity to lay down rights and entitlements for the benefit of other people. And I know what you might be thinking, because I think the same thing. Well, if that's the case, then evil's just going to run rampant. Evil's just going to take over everything, right? But God in his wisdom, knowledge, and justice establishes all authority. He establishes kings and he takes them down. He establishes the authority that we even have in our nation with police force and everything that we have within our government. He established that. And you know what? However bad it gets, one thing is for certain. God has never fallen off of his throne. God has never fallen off of his throne. And the brilliance of that is that that means that regardless of what we endure, we don't have to feel the burden of justice and vindication. Because let's just replay in our minds. When we have taken justice and vengeance into our own hands, has it ever really worked? Did it ever really solve the problem? Did it do the thing it was supposed to do in your heart? We, because God is a God of justice, we need to disarm ourselves of being easily offended, quick to judge, and quick to pass judgment. We have to leave this to the timing of God because God will not allow anything to go unpunished. However, if we do not look to help others in their times of need or injustice, we further distance ourselves from the Father's heart and it actually hinders us. It hinders our prayers. Look at this in Isaiah 1, 15 through 17. This is the Lord speaking this through Isaiah. When you lift your hands to prayer, I will not look. Though you're offering many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Defend those who are marginalized. Defend those who are weak. Fight for justice. And as much as we would love to say we get it right sometimes, we do not get justice right in our world. And our society has injustice. And we get the chance as people of God to mediate for our country and ask for repentance. So just like we did with the sanctity of life and the sacredness of life, I wanna encourage you to join me as we repent for the injustice in our society and in our world. God, we are so sorry. We're so sorry that in our blindness and in our selfish ambition, we have pushed people's cause out of our sight and mind. 
Father, may we know that all life is valuable, and so may we take up the cause of those who cannot defend themselves, who are marginalized, who are weak. May we seek justice for them, but may we, may we trust you, Lord, as the one that hands that justice out. May we trust you with timing and with method because we know that we've received great mercy from you and that at that space of kindness, that space of mercy draws us to repentance. It is not you forgetting. It is not you absolving somebody of anything they've done, but that space is an opportunity for them to be reconciled back to you because that's what they need most. We have made a business of hurting each other. May we lay down our rights for justice and trust you just like Jesus did, even though he had did nothing wrong. He did not entitle himself to the justice he deserved, but he handed his case to you, Lord, who always judges fairly. May we be advocates for justice in our world. In your name, amen. Getting my steps here, going up and down a lot. Um, <clears throat> the last thing I wanted us to talk about is unity. Unity is a policy of the kingdom of God. The night before Jesus died, he's sitting with his disciples and he prays this prayer. And this is so cool. And I want to read this to you guys. It's John 17, 20 through 23. He says, I'm praying not only to these disciples. So he's talking to God. He says, I'm not, praying for, I'm not only praying for the ones that are the, here. I'm also praying for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus is praying for us in this scripture. That's awesome. And I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. And as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. That when we are united, that it convinces, it conveys to the world that hope is in Jesus. 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they will be one as we are one. And I am, in them, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. That God loves us as much as he loves his son, Jesus. You see, the world will know the world will know Jesus, who he is, his character and his nature when we are one. I love this in Ephesians 2. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and he says in verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles. That's basically all humanity. So there's Jewish people and non-Jewish people or Gentiles. He's united them into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the walls of hostility that separated us. There is walls of hostility between people groups. There's walls of hostilities and issues, things that have gone unnoticed, undealt with. There is 
issues, and we can say that there are issues in our country. There are walls of hostility, but Jesus has broken it down because of what he's done on the cross. He did this by ending the system of law and the commands and its regulation, and he made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of death on his cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Our hostility towards one another was put to death. So if unity is a principle and a policy of the kingdom of God, then no difference can be greater than the things that bind us. No difference that could divide us can ever be stronger than the unity that should bind us. Now, we're not all robots. We're not all supposed to assimilate to the same person. We're different cultures, and all those things should be celebrated. However, any difference that could divide should never divide because of the fact that we have been grafted into the family of God. No difference should ever be stronger than the unity that binds us. Two, second thing you see, because unity is a principle and a policy of God, we should do everything in our power to be unified. When we are unified, that's when the world changes. The world sees Jesus through us. We get to be the billboard of love and reconciliation for humanity, for hope. I love this in Romans 12. Romans 12 is one of my favorite chapters of scripture. If you ever want to read some scripture, go to Romans 12. It's awesome. Verse 14 Bless those who persecute you. Do not curse them. Pray that God will bless them and be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who are weep. Live in harmony with each other. Do not think you are too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Ordinary. Don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil for more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone will see that you are honorable. I love this in verse 18. Do all that you can. All that... Don't kind of do a half thing. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Doing everything in our power does not always mean that unity will be the result. It doesn't always work out that way, but we need to and must, and we're commanded to try and pursue unity above all else. The price that Jesus paid for humanity, for our enemies, for the ones we're in conflict with is way too high to ever marginalize them or distance or not try to bring unity. And I know that that's not always the easiest thing. Sometimes there's things that are just fractured and broken and beyond repair. I get that. But we are called to pursue unity as much as we can. Our nation is split down the middle. We're forming sides. We're entrenching ourselves in our ideologies and our rights. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22, Paul says, I am a free man with no master, but I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Paul is taking whatever he can leverage to make a connection with somebody to tell them about Jesus. Would we do that? 
would we forego our rights, our stance, our ideologies in effort to connect and find common ground with somebody to hopefully tell them about Jesus? Because that's what Paul says in verse 22. He says, when I am with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. So the kingdom of God is upside down. It's about giving to gain. It's about losing your life to gain it. It's about leveraging whatever gain we could have. Like Paul says, all of that's rubbish, garbage, compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ as my Lord and Savior. Are we willing to forego our right to be offended or our entitlement to justice just to get the opportunity to show somebody Jesus, maybe to give them that space to bring kindness and bring them to repentance because that's what Romans 2 said. It's kindness that brings us to repentance. Are we willing to reorient the way that we think to know that all life is sacred from the most precious unborn babies to the enemies that threaten our nation, that threaten our world? They're all made in the image of God. Do we have the right to differentiate that at all? God, nothing is too far gone for our Lord and Savior. And so that's what the kingdom of God is about. And so with this last chance and with the band coming up, I want to do one last call to repentance. And I want us to repent for the division that's going on in our world, the division that's going on in our country, to know that we are called to a higher kingdom we're called to represent something so much greater, something that lasts forever. Guys, I hate to break it to you, but every kingdom in this world rises and falls. But we get the chance right now in this season, in this world, to tell people who Jesus really is. We get to be the billboard. Come back to God. He's everything you need. God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for the division in our world and in our nation. I'm so sorry for the ways I've participated in that. I'm so sorry for my attitude to quickly judge. Jesus, heal my heart, heal my mind. Help me to become more like you. God, help us to bring radical change and transformation to our world because of the upside-down principles of the kingdom of God that when we give up our life, we gain it. And that when we give up our rights for the benefit of somebody else, that they get to see Jesus because you stripped yourself of your power, entitlement, and your divinity, and you came to be born as a baby to live the life we were supposed to live, to die death in our place. 
to show the world that they matter, that all life matters. Let us never get in the way of that amazing voice that's crying from the heavens saying, I love you. Come back to me. I love you. Come back to me. May we echo that in all that we do. And Lord, heal our land. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly impact Bible study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.